I won't do the fruit cocktail salad. That's disgusting. Fruit cocktail is disgusting. No shit. Shall we? I already did, so. Oh! Code members, this is our, and welcome to, I should say, our fifth best of awards in which we're recognizing the best of 2023. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This episode, we're taking time to acknowledge the best characters, moments, and books that we read for the book club in 2023. If you've been following our podcast, most of these are going to come as very little surprise and probably should be familiar. Spoiler warning. Due to the nature of our awards, it's almost impossible to be spoiler-free for this episode. We will try to announce the name of the book at the beginning of our award and try to keep them to around one to two minutes. So if you haven't read a book we're talking about, go ahead and skip just a little ahead to avoid spoilers. Be sure to check out any posts and accompanying podcasts for any books that intrigue you. With that, let's dive into the characters, the scenes, the lines, and the concepts that really wowed us in 2023. As usual, we'll kind of switch between who starts and who does the follow-up award as we go through. Our first category is one of my favorite, near and dear to my heart. It is our favorite bro slash romance. This can either be a romantic coupling, a platonic friendship that really stood out to us this year, what have you. Classic examples of romances would be Uriel and Basanias, and a classic romance example would be Tona Crid and Dermon Caffron. With that, Carrie, who is your favorite bro slash romance this year? Should not be a surprise that it is Caiaphas Kane and Amberly Vale. As your favorite? Yes. Wait. I'm shocked. No. God, I can't even read. Sorry. I was looking at the awards and I was like, R that yeah. was your favorite? This is oh God. We're off to a good start tonight, y'all. Right. Yep. Okay. Putting the wine down. Apparently, All right. We'll just go. We'll go in reverse for this one. Your honorable <laughs> mission is Caiaphas <laughs> and Amberly. Amberly Vale. Jeez. Wow. Our first runner-up is uh, in Leviathan. It'd be Lieutenant Castamon and Baraka. <sighs> that one was actually my honorable mention. Um, or him and Abram. Castamon and anyone, really? For me, it was Baraka because Baraka, the guy who, the remnant, right? They had been through so much together, and he and uh, Baraka, he, he's the only one who really understood Baraka. Very much so. And their relationship was, ex their, their friendship, I should say, is, it's not told to us. I mean, we're told that they're friends, right? But then he did such a good job of showing us throughout that entire book. These two people are very close to each other. They have shared experiences. You couldn't help but just like, oh, heck yeah. Yeah, it just this made, one falls. Made it even sadder at the end, of course, because like, what? I mean, you can't have a good romance in a in this world. Like, look, Bobby, look at your number one. Speaking of, like, you can't have a good romance. 
So, what are you talking about? This romance has everything. <laughs> um, uneasy allies to maybe kind of lovers to back to uneasy allies to then again lovers to injecting berserk murder drugs to save him and make sure that he can make it and maybe he'll get servitorized. But if he doesn't, by God, Ursula Creed and Ossian are going to have a hell of a romance <laughs> from Creed, Ashes of Cadia. This one, this shouldn't surprise anybody. These two hit me so hard in the feels. And yes, if your significant other has never injected you with murder drugs after you've been knocked off of a cliff to make sure that you survive to get back to the ship, are you even in love? Well, don't forget the other drugs that she injected into him when he's like, you know, well, yes. and he was like, you know, going ahead, push the button, blow my head off. That was an actual bomb, though. I mean, that's just like the promise ring. Like, right, put well, a bomb in your right. head. And she was like, yeah, it serves two purposes. I just injected you. I don't remember what, she, what, what all was in him, but basically like, you're going to be fine. We just got to get you to the top of the canyon and then, well. Yeah. Yeah. He might be turned into a servitor. He might not. It keeps the romance and the spice alive. I'm just saying. Would it be weird if he becomes her servitor? Okay, now that would just go into like a very Warhammer, for, like it would be very on brand for Warhammer 40k, but I would also be like, no. Ew. It'd be better to be a servo skull, I think, by then. Yes, I'm going to go. That's a hard one. Um, it'll be like um, the servo skull from the Vaults of Terra series. If you love someone, turn their skull into a servitor or, that may or may or, not still have remnants of his consciousness left. What about Frater Matthew, his servo skull? We don't talk about that. What about the bookkeeper skull? That's a bad one, though. Like, that's a bad. That's a bad example of a servo skull. Just let's let's not do that. I mean, he had his con but he had the consciousness in him. That's what I'm saying. Oh, very much so. It's a floating skull. I wonder why he's murderous. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> Whose skull is sure. that? Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> that really. I want everyone to know that that really messed with me in the vaults of Terra. When it's revealed, like, what he's hearing in his head versus what comes out. And you're like, oh, God. This is a dark universe. I love it. It is. A Let's move on to your honorable mention. <laughs> For Whoever what? could it be? For your favorite bro slash romance. Oh, I thought we were that. Yeah, Caiaphas Kane, Amberly Vale. All right, moving on. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, and my honorable mention was Castamon and Abram or Baraka choose one. I he had great friendships, which is rare in 40K. They're brothers. Rare. They're brothers. Brothers! Exactly. Our second category is our favorite quote. These are lines that stuck in our brains, either as particularly well-written, sassy, generally memorable. I will start us off by saying, this is a hard one for me. Pretty much you could do any of the quotes from any time that Belisarius Call is talking to Trazen in Fall of Cadia, you could pick any line from there and be a winner. But I have decided that my absolute favorite from that was from Trazen when he tells Call when they're arguing about the use of the word abomination. And Trazen says, common use is acceptable if one wishes to be common. It's just the absurdity and it really captures Trazen in a nutshell. 
that like this whole scene, the other one I almost went to was when he was talking about kidnapping Belisarius Call, and he's just like, look, Katie would be really poor hosts if they didn't let me take a prize. <laughs> like, Katie is dying, my guy. <laughs> so, but I went with this one because it kind of lodged in my brain as just common use is acceptable if one wishes to be common. It's so arrogant and just haughty and very Trazen. Really anything that comes out of Trazen's mouth. You, on the other hand, went with something really pretty awesome. Yeah, and this one, this one stuck with me. I even said it in the podcast when I mentioned it, and it's something I've been thinking about, honestly, every book book that we read. And it's from Longshot. It's when Daria Nevich is, she finally uh, escapes from the Tau and basically is trying to kill Ceres. And she, just as she has him, she's like, it was all... And he was like, I was doing this to save my people. And she's like, it was always about you nursing a hurt you sh never should have felt. But you had no right to take it out on my people. And I need that to apply to so much in Warhammer 40k. Like, I get it. You feel slighted. Totally get it. But that doesn't mean that everybody else has to die because you feel slighted. Um, you know, same thing like in... Um, in, uh, in Vainglorious, when Cain realizes all of that material that never made it out to uh, Imperial Guard, and he got really, really upset. Like, how many people had to die, or probably died, because you didn't get your shipments out, out in time? Right. Well, as we learned from the vaults of Terra, um, or no, that was Watchers of the Throne series, just... How much the supply lines, how important they are to everyday Imperial life. And yeah, one missed shipment, mm -hmm. one delayed shipment can be catastrophic. Right. That's a good quote. Yeah, long shot in general was, I think that would, I think we talked about it in that podcast too. What a, what a sleeper hit that one was. Cause I don't think either of us were expecting it. No. I mean, it's like, oh, yay, Cadians. You know, it's really kind of how we both were. It's like, yeah, more Cadians. And damn. Just, I mean, yeah, I could go on and on and on about this book, but I already did. So just go back and listen to the podcast if you want to hear more about what I have to say. <laughs> there, was, there was an entire podcast on that one. Um, and if you've been curious about that book, do you recommend? Um, my honorable mention is from the rose and darkness and this is one of those ones that it's it's not necessarily like one of those like great like quotes where you're just like oh we'll be quoting this for eons it was more that it was the right quote at the right time if you've listened to this podcast you know that carrie and i both really struggle with the um the presentation of the adeptus sororitas uh there's a lot of wrist slashing and just general throwing themselves around the room we are not worthy Constantly trying to martyr themselves, constantly just whinging. And, and uh, not in the funny Wayne's world, we are not worthy way. Yeah, yeah, no, not not in that kind of way. No one starts explaining the history of Milwaukee. Um, but we really liked Adepta, um, we really liked Augusta very much. And so one of the quotes is at the very end of the book when her sister superior is talking to her and she says, you refused your own martyrdom in order to save as many as you could. You were blessed and guided by his light to complete your mission and save the life, life of Sister Ekamai. And it was just 
that to me, it felt like, and I'm sure I don't, I'm, I'm sure this wasn't it, but it felt like to me it's such a meta commentary on what we're often shown with the sisters, right? This idea of just, I must be a martyr because it's all about me. It's all about my glory, me getting to the mm-hmm. throne and less about the bigger picture. And that really was what a large part of that book was about was this idea of you need to save, you just save more lives and do as much as you can. Like you've been given this great gift of this armor and these weapons and this training, use it. So that quote just really hit me hard when we were reading the book because it was like, yes, this. I know, something that you and I both said uh, about the book at the time was that this is what we wanted the sisters to be. Yes. Um, this is probably one of the first sisters books that's appeared on our book club awards. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame too, to be totally to be 100% honest, because I liked a lot of Pilgrims of Fire. Mm-hmm. And Pilgrims of Fire would probably be up here if there wasn't that whole Repentia thing at the end. The Repentia thing in general, I struggle with. I mean, just it's been a hundred years and I still want to be in the Repentia. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> okay, princess. Yeah, I struggle with that one. And your honorable and so mention. My, and so my mouth shut. Anyway, my honorable mention is probably one line. So, call talking to fabulous Bill was just so entertaining, especially how much that Bill just made call laugh. And honestly, how Bill left it where he's just like, you know, you have something else in here you don't want outright. <laughs> and calls basically like balls. <laughs> That's bad. But it's when, you know, Fabulous Bill's like, I want to save humanity, you know, by creating my own humanity because, of course. And Call has to make a flippant remark about his wardrobe. Most of the time when people want to save people, it's not to add them to their wardrobe. Sorry, Call's got a point there. It's hard to say you want to save, save people when you're wearing a cloak. Of screaming faces. I mean, when Conrad Kurz would want to know where you do your shopping, I want to rethink that. Right. And Conrad Kurz is not going to mount himself upon the same cross of, but I'm saving humanity. And actually, that no. puts, that actually puts one in Conrad Kurz's category right there, because at least he's not <laughs> pretending, right? It's true. And that's, I think that's always been one of the, I like that line as well, because it's kind of a nice, it's not only a flippant remark from Call, to me, it also kind of felt like a flippant remark from Haley that Call has, or Bill, sorry, has called, I can't talk tonight. Fabulous Bill has really, it, there's this characterization of, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just this benevolent person yeah. who wants to save humanity. I mean, I walk around in a flesh skin coat. And I've genetically programmed all of my creations to never turn on me. But other than that, I'm very, I'm just so benevolent. He's very MCU Thanos, right? Right. Exactly. You are the monster. Congratulations. But I'm just, really not. I'm doing everything I can to save the, right. the galaxy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just 
No. No. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> our third category is our funniest moment. Believe it or not, the Warhammer 40k universe is full of laughs and humor, but these are scenes that provide either a much-needed laugh because of the book or were so perfectly timed and enjoyable, they just deserve a mention, which I think is what yours, your funniest moment, falls under. So mine is, there's actually two in this book that actually made me literally bark a laugh as I'm walking around the, the lake in my area. And the first one is, <laughs> when Cain meets the big bad in Vainglorious, the Necron, and he shoots him in the face and the Necron just goes, really? And a lot of it goes to Stephen Pering's rendition of how he says it. But he nails it. He says it. And I could just see like any, you know, frustrated teenager. Really? Did you just really try to shoot me in the face? I did. Honestly, the other part that made me bark a laugh was when um, a, that's, I can't remember the Necron's name. Sorry, it starts with an A, though. When he tells uh, Kane, you know, make sure that your pet, referring to Jurgen, doesn't kill my pet. And so he yells like, like Jurgen, like, hang out with the guy. Don't shoot him. He's like, right, sir. Good manners don't cost nothing. I burst <laughs> out. I mean, I... Like, I did a ha, like, out of the lake, like, scared the person in front of me. I'm like, sorry, that's just, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Because every now and then, Jurgen's got some good ones in there, whether he means it or not. <laughs> right. Sandy Mitchell remains the funniest of the authors, right? I mean, obviously, Ooh. Warhammer 40k. Hmm. That, that's hard. Mike Brooks is right up there, too. I was just about to say, Mike Brooks is creeping in on his throne mm -hmm. there. Um, but he's still just reliably very funny. You just, and I mean, Robert Rath also is yeah. creeping up in there too, especially anytime Trazen's involved. Um, I like to see the humor, but you can always, there's something just warm and familiar about Caiaphas Kane's brand of humor. <laughs> like the, uh, there's just something nice about it that I like as well. And that is of course, and I also listen to the audio version per your suggestion. Um, it's just great. And the way that they read that line is excellent. Really? Really? And then, of course, the you said this one was smart. <laughs> so great. Good reaction. Um, as kind of already hinted, my funniest moment, and I can, it was hard to pick one, but mm. I do think it's probably that last one. It's when Colin Trazen are bickering. Anytime those two are like going at each other, it's just funny. Um, but I think my favorite scene is definitely towards the end when um, Trazen, like there's a line in there about how, well, you know, and this is, of course, why humanity just can't appreciate the true scope of things. And it's like hour four of his discourse. Those two back and forth and his whole like the Pokeball scene that he did. Yes, I know that we saw that before in Infinite and the Divine, but it just la I laughed. It still funny. It's still hilarious. I laughed my way. Like, I giggled my way through that entire end scene. I mean, it's absolutely wonderful. Honestly, when he throws out Grayfax, and he was like, this is my last resort, because if I throw this out, it won't ever stop. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, my God, is this like a Tyranid? Like, I didn't know a Tyranid. Is it an orc? Like, what is it? Oh, no, it's just an Inquisitor. Because <laughs> the line before he throws it out is, you're not going to like this, which is a hundred percent true. 
You are not going to like this. Um, still just wonderful. Just a great scene. And honestly, and, and then the Inquisitor wow. just like sees St. Celestine. She's like, I want to interrogate that. Like, that, I don't think I was supposed to be funny, but I found it hysterical. Oh, I did too. Because you're in the middle of the app, literal chaos. And you're just like, oh, no, 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 that. Really, darling? Really? Hers was almost my favorite line when she comes in and she's just like, my my authority in this sector predates yours. Yeah. Like, oh, there my were, God. There were a lot of, of lines, but I had to go with the thing that actually made me literally laugh out loud. When something does make you LOL, you have to mark that down. Oh, my God. Yes. Which brings us to we both had the same thing here because just if anybody has ever seen Miss Congeniality. Yes, I'm referencing Miss Congeniality. I apologize. Um, but I when Michael Caine is talking movie, about sorry. the one year, the one year that he lost, and he's like, "We lost to a blind mute. It was you a can't deaf mute. Eat a deaf mute. You can't beat that." Um, the orcs having a medical conference. You can't beat that. Do you want to tell us about the medical conference, Carrie? <laughs> Just the fact that they had a de conference. <laughs> and I, he's like, yeah, I learned some more procedures. I got some more body parts. It was all in all a pretty successful conference. Like, oh, my God. That's funny. The idea that the war bosses send them away just to get them away because they don't really trust them. And you might as well just put them all in one place. I have so many questions that add to the humor of this whole concept and this whole scene. Like, where did they get the idea? Where how did they get the idea? How did they all come together to agree on this? Mm -hmm. How many people die? Then the fact that there's panels, because he talked about presenting about why we need Humies to help us with this. And everyone's just like, ew, no. Well, and when they were talking about, like, Humies and, like, how, yeah, well, they don't really see the need to save them because they'll just turn their skulls into lamps or something. That in particular was hilarious. That whole concept. It can't be beat. And learning about how, you know, you can't do the same thing with humies because their insides have to go back in the right places. It's like... <laughs> Again, orc science. It's amazing. It is amazing. Even, gosh, his mentor, when he's dying, he's like, okay, you see this? This is the wobbler. And then there's this. We don't know what this does. As he's poking inside himself. <laughs> I love, yes, I love that whole concept. And basically, the, the idea that Stemma is basically Dr. Frankenstein for this book. Pretty, it's pretty awesome. Well, that, whole, mean, that whole concept. You think about it, to be fair, most of the pain boys are Dr. Frankensteins. Uh, yeah. Like, there was that one Ultramarines book that we did not like, Blood of Ix. Mm, that pain boy mm -hmm. was a uh, Dr. Frankenstein. Oh, yes. Very much so. Very much agreed on that. It just... they It works well with the orcs. And that's the best part of all of this, is that it wasn't just humor for humor's sake. It it actually makes sense within the lore. Like, he, he, may, he, he, been, like, he makes it fit with the orcs, so it's not just like... What do you mean they're going to a... Con oh, it's the pain boys. Okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> Like, just absolutely hilarious. Um, I wonder, easily one of my favorite things. 
It's like, I wonder, but I'm pretty sure that they don't. The weird boys probably don't have their own conference just because they just... Can you imagine the explosion? Imagine being like a chain reaction. That's how you get a second rift in the warp. <laughs> a weird just... boys conference? <laughs> like, what happened there? Well, uh, it looks like there were like a hundred weird boys on a planet. The fact that they're called weird boys. I love it. The orcs in general. I mean, it was going to be, it was, you know, it's if, hard to introduce Abaddon a thing. Was smart. He didn't have to get a Blackstone <laughs> Fortress. He just owned a whole bunch of weird boys there. <laughs> and been like, Joe, get a load of this. Could have had a conference, just like the medical conference. All he had to do was plant that idea. Yeah. Plant the idea. We want to have our own conference. I think it would have gone over well, actually. Very well. Oh, yeah, because I'm pretty sure the orcs would be fine getting rid of the weird boys for a little while. Uh, yeah. Probably. Some go they boom on the way out. Oh, well. At least it'd be funny. Right? I mean, at least for them. Our fourth category is always my favorite one. It's our biggest, oh my god, scene. Emphasis on all of those words. These were the scenes that had us figuratively or literally with our jaws agape, unable to comprehend the scene that we just read. Do you want to start us off, Carrie? I Since will. yours is... It's a Baraka's sacrifice from Leviathan. It was really when he said, yes, this, this is how I will die. I was like, but, but, but no. <laughs> but, but you're not supposed to die, my friend. Yeah, just like he knows at that point, like, this is what I need to do uh, to take, you know, to save my lieutenant, save as much of this planet as we can. Got to mm -hmm. take out the head guy, and this is the best way to do it. That, I would say the last God. 150 pages of that book could have been the it, best Oh My God scene. It reminded me a lot of um, the movie U571. Mm -hmm. You know, the scene. If you haven't seen the movie, if you have seen the movie, you know the scene. And I can't, I can't repeat the scene because I will cry. Like, seriously, if I repeat it, I will cry. I've told this to, like, my parents who never seen the movie. I've repeated it, and I've cried every single time. It's a, it's a gut-wrenching scene. And this reminded me of that just without Lieutenant Castamon telling him, you have to do this to save us all. Baraka just knew. And that just made it all the more heart-wrenching. It captured... It captured the sense of, uh, for me, it captured the sense of the end of Wrath of Khan when mm -hmm. Spock goes down into the generator room because he just, he doesn't have to be told. He doesn't have to be asked. He just knows. He just knows he has to save everyone. And again, that whole last, I think my video hiccup, so I might have talked over you. I apologize. The uh, last 150 pages of that book could pretty much be described as an oh my God scene. But that in particular, I don't think either of us were ready to lose him. No. I was like, there's got to be another way. But it's Warhammer 40k. Five? Of course there's no other way. <laughs> no, there's no other way. But there could have been. I'm just saying, like, the authors have control over this. Especially with good characters. Well-written characters. Yeah, but then it wouldn't be a good Warhammer 40k story. 
What you is know it? what? It's 100% what true. What is our biggest complaint about Gate of Bones? I hate that you just landed a really good point. For those who yeah. haven't somehow have missed us complain about this, uh, the fact that both of those characters live in the end of that book, not happy about it. Not happy about it at all. They, she needed to die. She in particular needed to die. Um Something against her personally. Like, it's nothing against. It's, it's nothing against her. I would have understood if he lived because he's a freaking custodies, right? Totally made it made sense. Hey, we don't need to get into this again. But no. just saying, but like that was one of those things. Like when they made a happy and doing air quotes for a podcast, mm-hmm. a happy ending. It ruins it because Warhammer 40k is not entirely a place for happy endings. It's a place for happy endings that make sense. Such as Severina Rain. Right. Right. I would. I mean, or Kane. Um, the Unremembered Empire. There's right. There's a happy ending that makes sense. Caiaphas Kane. Happy endings that make sense. And even then, they're kind of like questionably happy. I they're, mean, some of his endings. They're bittersweet. Yes. Very much so. Um, they're happy for Kane personally. Because he lived. Yeah, exactly. And Jurgen lived. And I mean, those two kind of have plot armor on them, but that's good. We're all here for it. Uh, if you're actually wanting to have the actual real grim dark in Caiaphas <clears throat> Kane, you're missing the point. <laughs> if they ever kill Jurgen, which would have to be after Caiaphas uh, Kane's last stand. They decided to do a book after Kane's last stand and they kill Jurgen. I will get on a plane to Nottingham. And I will find Sandy Mitchell. I know that's not your real name, dude. I will find you. <laughs> I know I'm not going to kill um, you, but I might burn something in your front yard. That or at says, least give you, like, knock on the door and just be like, I have just one question. Why? And then walk away. <laughs> it's like, you know what in? you did. <laughs> I know what, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to burn into the yard. Just the phrase, I know what you did last summer. We're not mad. I'm just disappointed and that hurts worse <laughs> exactly that You're supposed to be I above this one. man anyway <laughs> um for me it was kind of a silly one but it was also like a ooh the possibilities and it also fell into a big oh my god scene because this is from fall of cadia in creed ashes of cadia there's the big question of how she got the coat right and how it still smells of cigar smoke um, now, I do know that a lot of our a lot of our listeners pointed out that they had actually read Fall of Cadia before Create Ashes of Cadia, which I think was the preferred reading order, which kind of ticks me off because that yeah. Fall of Cadia was only out in limited edition. And so yeah. the non-limited edition purchasers had to wait for it, which then came out after Creed Ashes of Cadia. Well, this is Games Workshop's MO. I could list so many books where they've done this. There's an entire TED Talk. On their publishing schedule. <laughs> the assistance. Can I, oh, sorry. Can I, can I just come and help? Can I just kind of like... <laughs> um, project managers. I'm product, but I would happily project this. Um, because if I product, I would fix your search engine. Because uh, your your tagging system is atrocious. Um, anyways, moving on. Um, for me, it's when Trazen... They reveal that Trazen has captured Ursacar Creed. So, Creed is not dead, my friends. Are you saying I mean, you needed a gift? He needed to have he needed to have a souvenir from Cadia, and he had the best to go part home of, with a party favor. He did. He even tells 
cre- he even tells Call that that he needs a party I mean, favor, and he's basically spent the entire book hunting a party favor. I mean, to be fair, he did get rid of some of his prized possessions out of his museum. So, mm-hmm. why not a creed? It's the least they could have done. Um, so I that was a big, that. oh my God. And I loved that. That was actually my um, honorable mention. Because well, I love that because I'm reading the Minkalesque series and they talk about how he just disappeared. No idea where he went. They, d- they assumed he died. They assumed he fell on the planet. But they didn't understand it because so many people got away at the same time. So they were very confused about how he could have just disappeared. Like, no, because no one saw him fall in combat. So it was always very interesting. I always wondered if maybe he did escape and maybe he got caught, you know, because there was that blockade, right? He was like on one of the escaping ships. And then just never made it out of the blockade. So, because mm-hmm. that got mentioned in Cadia stands. Mm-hmm. Some of the some of the ships are trying to leave, and they ran right into the fleets, and we're like, ah, oh, crap. They ran into it. I mean, he could have just been the captain who went down with his ship too, right? But like, I mean, there were so many said, things. Like, no one ever saw him fall. So that's kind of cool that that seed's been planted for how long now? When was when did Katie Stans come out? 2017? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to do there. And of course, you have Trazen. Like, Trazen can do... It makes sense. Again, it fits within the lore that he would grab Creed. That that one would be particularly interesting to him. Um, and then it also explains how the coat gets to Ursula. Mm-hmm. So now we have to ask ourselves, when's he going to come back? Is it going to be like 500 years from now? Like with Katarina Grayfax just be like poof there we go arguably when he goes into that pokeball battle he could kind of have the same conversation this one will never stop you're not going to like it actually I wonder if Creed will be Creed will be mad honestly with Creed the way that they kind of established him up until that point I have a feeling he'll be like okay (laughs) this tracks I don't know I wonder if he'll be mad he I think it'll de- with the ship. I think it'll depend. So, because my honorable mention is the revelation of the MacGuffin in Ashes of Cadia. The whole time, what could be on Cadia that could still be so valuable? What could be so valuable? What could be so valuable? Oh, it, it's basically so that they can replace Cadia, so that they can have Cadia too, Cadia er, and uh. Um, well, because Cadia is not a place; it's a people. Exactly. Exactly. And I loved that scene in general. But um, that whole speech, everything about it, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is great. But it was a big, oh, my God, because, oh, my God, yes, they could absolutely create a new planet. And then it got me thinking that would be something that Trazen could potentially unleash him on. And I don't think he would be angry in that case. I think he'd be like, oh, no, probably not. But do you think Trazen will? No. No, that would actually be not within his idiom. No, because that's like a perfect mentality. That's a great museum piece, right? Right. Like he would have to need Creed, I feel like, to bust him out at Hawk. Um, Or when he, like, he would trade Creed for Call. (laughs) Right. He would have to have a more better replacement for Mm -hmm. that. For his um, antiquities wing. Important people, 
What's the? I honestly just imagine his whole museum thing being like night at the museum. Why can't I think of? Was it Hall of Presidents or something like that at Disneyland? Oh yeah, yeah. It would be like that. <laughs> he has like, Clone Grim and Creed. Just with less creepy animatronics. Yes, exactly. Every now and then, you, if you get close enough to them, you can kind of hear them move or see them move and hear them talk. It's not creepy in the least. Um, yeah, that's. I imagine he'll he'll, he'll take a, he'll take over Grayfax's little pedestal. Fine. All will be well in the Call Museum or the Trazen Museum. I'm telling you. Um, which does move us into our fifth category, which is our favorite scene. These, this is the scene that was either just so important or cinematic that it mm. stuck with us. Um, for me, it's cinematic for my favorite. And this is, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but this is actually from The Lion, Son of the Forest. It's the scene when the lion enters the emperor's fortress. Um, I really liked the idea, the previous scene, uh, when he meets the emperor, when the emperor is fishing in the river. Great scene, right? But it's when he enters the fortress that I absolutely love because the emperor keeps staring at him. The, sorry, the old king keeps staring at him like, leave. Don't be here. I don't need you here. It. I like the idea that somewhere in the warp, a part of the emperor is essentially trapped and fighting off all of these different things right i loved the idea of him fishing in the warp i thought that was a beautiful imagery uh and him sitting in that fortress i thought that was absolutely amazing and perfectly on brand for him and just the whole scene mike brooks did such a great job of setting that scene up that as you're reading it it has this kind of ethereal dreamlike quality to it you can picture all of the players it's very much the lion very much the emperor is very on brand for both characters. And I just like that idea that the Emperor is basically sitting there like, not yet. There's still stuff he's got to do. But then he's also got a lot of problems going on. It was a great scene. And it has really, I mean, we read that book, what, back in March? And then I've seen nothing else about the lion since. Um, but <laughs> you know what you've done. Um... I liked the scene and it's really stuck with me for like this entire year. That scene in particular, I just, everything about it, it hit me in the right place. I mean, the only thing of that scene that really struck me was when the lion's trying to talk to him and he's like, why isn't he answering me? And the watcher of the woods says, you're not asking the right questions. That's a nice little mystery there. What is the right question, right? Um, I do like that idea to that because you can also the more and more I think about this I'm probably way over analyzing this but I think you can also like you can also say that this idea that the Imperium in general is not doing like something in general he's stuck on this throne they're not asking the right questions they're not doing the right things like there's something that I feel like there's a thing a question or because he wants them to happen. unplug them from life support so he can come back to life like as in you know dogma it's not dogma it is dogma. Well, it could be dogma. Um, Except that I don't see the emperor playing skee ball and giving the tokens to underprivileged kids. Probably not. Probably not. Mm -mm. Um, we do see the, the Golgothan demons, though. 
Sure. Um, Nurgle. Uh, I don't... Okay. I just want to say, I don't know how you put the scene, your scene down with, like, with, like... I'm going to get verklempt. What was your favorite scene, Carrie? Oh, um, it would be uh, Kel's death scene in Fall of Cadia. And that one hit me hard because of who Kel is, how important he is to everything. And honestly, it was his last words to Abaddon. And now I can't remember what they were because I should have written them down. <laughs> but, but the scene, like, kind of like it really stuck with me that whole the, the it's whole when thing. he has it's when he has his Barry Manilow moment <laughs> your father's such a failure why are you dressing like him thank you or something like that yes, it's so yes, good yes yeah and the thing is is I think in that book had they had anyone else try to say that to Abaddon it would not have hit but with Kel you're like mm -hmm, yeah that's exactly what he would have said it, to that guy it wouldn't have even hit with Creed right I don't think so no but Kel had a way with words, and he was very witty. And honestly, like, I think he's a better man than Creed in so many ways. He was kind of Creed's prop, right? He was the face of the brand. Yeah. So or the even voice of the brand. When I was flipping back through uh, Creed Ashes Acadia trying to find some of my notes because as much as I keep telling myself I'm going to take better notes and I thought I really took better notes this year I did not take better notes this year god I need to like tell myself how to take better notes but I was flipping through it and I got to the part where uh Ursula Creed was actually looking through the journal and she got to Kel died today and she was like she stopped she's like oh my god Kel was so important to dad it goes back and it makes that scene a little bit more powerful, mm -hmm. too. <laughs> yeah, Kel's death, Kel's death hit me hard because, again, Kel's obviously death everyone is like, gets off kind this of, planet, right? It embodies everything that Cadia was. His, his fall was the preamble to Cadia's fall. When he fell, mm -hmm. you knew that was it for the planet. I would agree with that. It... Yeah. And he was he was just a great character and he was such a vital part of Creed. And I think that you can see that because Creed is so affected by his death, too. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like his right arm was cut off, right? Mm -hmm. Just as I lift my left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's right. Your image is reversed. I was like, no, honey, that is your right arm. No, um, it's really funny is because I'm so used to teaching yoga. I always do the opposites. So I always will use my left and say, raise your right hand. So because that way I'm mirroring people. So that's what I'm going to say this was. It wasn't that I didn't know which one was which. But anyway. That's fair. Um, my, I think my favorite scene was Baraka's sacrifice from Leviathan. That was one of Very mine. Powerful. So powerful. And so because it... I think I've mentioned before, I have like, I have an entire dissertation on why Wrath of Khan is one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. Um, and that ending is part of it. And it just, it hit, like, it, it channeled that emotion for me and um, it hit that nostalgia. I that Wrath of Khan is the only Star Trek movie I've ever liked. So. 
it's a perfect movie because you don't have to be familiar with Star Trek. They establish who everybody is like in relationship to each other in the beginning. It's also just a solid science fiction movie from start to finish. It has a great plot and there's actual consequences to this movie. Anyways, thank you. That was my never, short, short never version of it. Never mind the fact that the ear things like terrified me as a child. Okay, the ear things were maybe not okay. Like I'm not here to argue that those were awesome. They weren't. Um, earwigs. Uh -huh. Every time I see earwigs, I'm always like, Ma, get rid of it. It's going to control your thoughts. Anyways, uh, for a variety of reasons. But yeah, Baraka's sacrifice, which I know we talked about earlier, but it's just a, it's a powerful scene. And I really didn't want that character to die. I didn't want any of the characters to die, but him in particular, I was like, I mean, obviously he's getting off the planet. I was actually cool with some of the people on the planet dying. Oh, I mean, obviously, yes. <laughs> But I was trying to, because it sounds like weird when you're like, well, I didn't want him to die. But, you know, all these other people can die. Who gives a shit? Um, no, I obviously, I care about all of them as individuals. Um, nah. But Baraka in particular, I was somewhat convinced he was going to, he was going to be fine. And it was, it was just a little bit of a, that one was devastating to me. And it was just a great scene. I mean, for, a, in terms of a good write-off for a good character, Megusta, mm -hmm. what was yours? Your, your honorable mention. It was a Creed's message for Ursula. Mm -hmm. Which is where a part of me was like giggling. So I'm like, we're, it's a people, not a place. Right. But same time. It's a people, not a place. Right? right? So, and to me, that kind of wonderfully tied together, you know, a lot of stuff. Because you hear, like, Ursula Creed, she's got two white shields, right? Where she's like, are you really white shields? And the Minkalesque store, which also deals with the same thing. These brand new white shields that they get that weren't trained on Cadia, but... But we're actually trained in the Cadian way. So she's like, okay, yes, you are Cadian. So the whole thing, what does it mean to be Cadian? Is it because of the violet eyes? We got to now think beyond that, right? So that just kind of all just nicely summed it up for me for this year for when it comes to Cadia. This podcast has a lot more Cadia in it than I think either of us ever would have expected. Well, this year had a lot more Katie in it than I think either of us ever expected. Like, okay, yeah. that's fair. The problem with the fall of Katie, and I said this I know in the podcast, was that it would have been great if it came out like three years ago. Yes, agreed. And I know that I know that I know that our take was kind of a hot take, uh, judging by the comments on that video. Um, I still think the book, yeah, it was it was a little late. I would have liked it a few years previous um i will say creed or yeah ashes of cadia that one definitely like as soon as i read it i was like oh my god this is my favorite books um great book. fall of cadia is percolating well even though i know that i really only enjoyed like the last 250 pages of that book now that i'm a little bit past it the irritation and slog the, the stuff that i was like i didn't really enjoy this part of it has definitely mellowed with me and that whole ending because it was so good. I agree. It was one of those that has sat with me mm -hmm. in the week since. And I just keep coming back to it mentally. Yeah. A lot of stuff in there that I'm thinking about. No, I, I, I feel that one. Um, but it's just, it's 
weird because neither of us are big Kadia fangirls. And so. No, but you know what? I have to say, honestly, reading the Minka Lesk trilogy this year, or like the rest of the trilogy, because I've read Katie Stans, I don't know how long ago, kind of turned me around a lot and long shot. Mm. Long shot brought me around on a lot of stuff when it came to the Cadians. Right. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's just, there's, I think a lot of authors have done, I think there's, and you and I have talked about this before, there's kind of the easy route to go with some characters, places, locations, um, battalions, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, armies, like there's all these things that you can kind of, like there's the low hanging fruit of them. And then there's the, okay, I'm taking a little bit of a deeper look into this and I'm going to put some commentary in here and... I think we actually got a lot of books around that side of it that weren't just like, oh, Violet Eyes, very militaristic. Go! Hates everyone else. Go! A little thought into it. I well, like I think, it. honestly, that Andy Clark with Steel Tread kind of started that. Even though mm -hmm. there was a lot of the book I hated because it brought out a lot of the Cadian stuff that I hate, but I loved the book at the same time. Right. But it, but it, but it introduced that dichotomy. Right, with those, with the that Canadians. was that was the crack in our shell. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's kind of what so, started me rethinking Canadians. Even though it really harped on what I hate about them, it brought a different perspective at the same time. It was, I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, for having a bunch I of characters it. in it that I hated, and I still loved the book. Well done, Andy Clark. Right. Well, I mean, in terms of the, like, it got you thinking about, so I, I feel, I felt very much that same way with Nick Kimes' Volpone, Glory book. Mm. Being a huge Gaunt's Ghost fan, the Volpone are dicks. I can't stand any of them. And yet, Nick Kime made a book that made me really like them, and he kept them all arrogant assholes. And there were a lot of people that I would not want to hang out with at a party, um, but I loved the book. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, like, ugh, so much. So much good stuff going on <laughs> with so many of these books. But I was just a little, when I was looking through the awards book, getting ready for the podcast, I was like, damn, you would have told me that Kate, like at the beginning of the year, if you would have been like, dude, Katie is going to dominate your awards. Well, that have been like, okay. We can't even look at like the past couple of years, right? What has been mm -hmm. dominating our awards? It's not been Space Marines books. It's mm -mm. been Imperial Guard or sorry, Astro Militarum. It's been the Imperial Guard, whether it's Commissar Kane. Or the Cadia, we got Steel Tread, we got the Kazakin, won our best book last year. Mm -hmm. um, we both, uh, like I said, we already, we already said Steel Tread, but now we got, you know, the Fall of Cadia and uh, Creed Ashes of Cadia. Mm -hmm. Long shot. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Of, you're, you're absolutely right, actually. I'm going back through really quickly, looking at some of our best books. Oh, uh, um, Glory. That's what I was thinking of. Like, we both really, really enjoyed Volpone Glory. Yeah. There's a lot of... There's just a lot of stuff in here that I feel as though a lot of authors are really starting to flex around with it. Having said that, Leviathan. I mean, Leviathan was basically bolter porn, but man, did that get deeper than we were expecting. Oh, 100%. I was just saying that, you know... You and I both kind of got into this because we love the Space Marines. Like, what's the first book, what's the first book that we started with this podcast? Dark Imperium. You can't get mm -hmm. more Space Marines than that. And then the last couple of years True. has gotten to Imperial Guard. And we've been like, who really cares? But we've loved it. Yes. 
I will agree with that entirely. There's, there's just, there's a lot going on with the human element in a better way. I feel mm-hmm. like in recent years, I don't know how to explain that. Like, I'm not trying to be like oh, the books before sucked. I just no, I don't not, know how to explain it's not it. That they sucked. It's just that our attention was on spesmarines. Spesmarines. Shall we continue along to our sixth category, which is one of the more fun categories too? Our sixth category is our favorite antagonist. These were the villains we either loved to hate or the villains that we were maybe maybe just cheering for a little bit by the end. Was, um, a actually, really great class. I put the guys that I hated the most, but because I hated them the most, that means they were very well written. Fair enough. All right. Uh, you want to start us off here? Gideon Argent. Creed Ashes Acadia. And that was mainly because I did not see this shit coming. Not even a little bit. No. So when it turned out he was, because we were, we were expecting like the prissy guy, right? The guy who maybe should have been a Volpone, <laughs> the way he oh, was right? acting. Yes. The kind of Cadian ar- aristocrat. He was very, I didn't find him prissy. I found him pissy, oh. very haughty, very, I'm just, it's nothing personal. I'm just better than you. Yeah, prissy. Um, just terrible. And Argent, the funny thing, and you and I both talked about this with Argent, is that he was such an, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. But then. But then once you started to unpeel and unpack all of the conversations, you were like, oh, yeah, definitely. So like I said, when I was like flipping through here trying to find certain stuff and I get to, like I said, her journal, right? And she reads a part in the journal and he gets all pissy that she had this journal and didn't tell him. She's like, dear God, what does it matter? It's none of your business that I had this. He's like, you should have told me. She's like, why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It also made him a nice, especially after reading Fall of Cadia, I felt like it made him an even better antagonist because her father had Kel. Mm. She has Argent. Whom she thought was her friend. She thought was her Kel. Mm -hmm. She thought this man was her friend and no. And then there's like all these questions about for how long and like you can start to unspool and death spiral on that. Um, Like was it just when Raboot called her? Was it years in the past? Like... You want to say? Yeah. But, yeah, he was a good villain. The best villains tend to be the ones that you were like, I did not see that coming. Yeah, I agree. And he falls under that entirely. My favorite antagonist is the most basic decision I could make, but bear with me for a second. It's Abaddon from Fall of Cadia. It's like the pumpkin spice basic bitch. Yes, this is the pumpkin spice latte of Warhammer 40k antagonists. Um, Abaddon, I just liked his characterization. I like once he comes down onto the planet, how he's just meh. Like, he's just so like, this is ridiculous. Like, so, why do I have to come down here? He had one line that almost made my favorite quotes. And it was when he was talking to Blackstone Girl. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I've disappointed you and I'm sorry. But I have learned, I've learned nothing else. It's that fathers always disappoint. Yes. Um, I also liked, and this isn't really, this is the characterization from Blackstone Fortress Girl. Um, 
the one of the neatest concepts that almost made, but I didn't know how to like fit this into the awards, is still how she sees everyone thinking mm. and like the different ways that everyone's mind work. But the fact that Abaddon's is like a solar system because that's the level on which he's thinking. He's thinking on a galactic level. Um, I just I, I liked how he handled the character. It felt very much in line with ADBs uh, from the. Um, the Black Legion, Talon of Horus books, it felt very much in line with that, with the next logical conclusion. He's not... I, th I feel like sometimes with some of the Chaos Warlords, people kind of... They feel a need to make them kind of petty and emotional and... Not Abaddon. He is, he's professional. Um, very much reminded me a little bit of Thanos, like in actual seriousness. The way that Brolin played Thanos is just this like... Yes, I've, I'm a professional... I'm professional. I'm in control of all these situations here. Not even that worried about it. Uh, making lemonade out of lemons. Right. With, uh, yeah, his Blackstone Fortress. Um, I just thought it was a great antagonist. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then I think we both had the same favorite antagonist for our honorable mention. You want to take it away? Yeah, that'd be our favorite guy ever. Fabulous Bill. From Gene Father. You can't not like the guy while also simultaneously hating him. Mm, I don't like him. I, I hate him. But you like to hate him. Like, I think, I don't know how to explain this emotion, but like, uh, you enjoy yeah. hating yeah. him. Because he's, I mean, he's a fun villain. He really is. I haven't forgiven him for Clone Grim. I haven't forgiven him for Arian. Oh, there's that too. Yeah, that one's still, I want everyone to know I that mean, like, you know, this whole like thing about the Roman Empire right now that's going around on Instagram. Arian is one of my Roman empires. I want you to all know that. I mean, I guess you could really blame Fabulous Bill for a lot of things. Like a lot mm -hmm. of the horse heresy. Yeah. There's so much with him and He's wonderful in that book. Awful. Oh, absolutely awful, but also wonderful. And I love the way he spars with Call. He is this dark mirror to Call. I guess the and, best uh, thing about him is that he believes the bullshit that comes out of absolutely. his Absolutely. He has all this insight and all these opinions and all and of this philosophizing. We didn't see what, what he really wanted coming. No. No. Um, and the fact that what he did to Primus was not okay. But he does get it. He does he does grow them back. Hmm. All the, all the commenters are explaining, yes, they do grow them back. Oh, excellent. Um great. We didn't see that in the book. Um it was cruel, and I know that I, I randomly went on this rant recently in another podcast, but this is the other thing that made him one of my favorite villains, is that I was like, oh my god, he's going to like claim credit for figuring out the Primaris when he just busted into Cole's ship and robbed him. Yeah, that's okay, what he Bill does. Gates. Oh my gosh, he's Bile Gates. <laughs> Windows humor, am I right? Oh my god, I love it. If anyone's not familiar, you should look up uh, Apple, Windows, and Xerox. 
uh, change approved. History. Hmm? <laughs> Bad a gavel. Change approved. Change approved. Violent gates. That is what it, that's what I'm calling him from now on after this whole, like, he just steals it and he's wow. going to go back and tell Abaddon, I figured it out. No, you did not. You didn't figure out anything. Yeah, but if you think about it, he never figured anything out. Everything he's done has been tinkering with what the Emperor already did. Right. And then he sits there and rests on his laurels about like, oh, look what I've done. And you haven't done anything, my guy. I created these new men based on Emperor's blueprints. Right. Oh, and by the way, they're they're also encoded to be loyal to me. But I've given them their own free will, except for that whole like loyalty to me thing. You know how it is. Children. Like like the towel. Exactly, you exactly that. Except it's not even you have free will like, to follow the greater good, but it's still free will to follow the greater good. Yeah, we use we, we use pheromones and mind control to make sure you want to follow the greater good, and those who don't get on board get killed. Um, but it's still free will, <laughs> greater good, everyone. Um, I mean, if you want to see what happens when you do fall out of uh, Bill uh, Bile Gates's programming. Look what happened when they tried uh, the new men tried to save Clone Grim. Mm-hmm. He didn't take that well, and then he oh, gave Clone to... Grim to Trazen. Right. Which, to be fair, is probably one of the nicer ways to go out in the 40k universe. Well, yes, because he's not dead. He's not dead. He's just in an endless state of stasis that he may or may not come out of, depending on whether or not Trazen ever needs him in a future battle. Um, because he's unleashed something he wasn't prepared for, or something he wasn't quite prepared for gets you know, unleashed upon him. To be fair, you know it would be really fun. Is that Trazen's hanging out in his little pocket dimension, and it's when Reboot has his reunion with the lion, and Trazen's just like, hmm. "Oh, do they need another brother? Here you go." <laughs> the weirdest conversation. I'd be here for it. Yes, just want you to all know. Switching from our antagonists to our protagonists our seventh category is our favorite protagonist these were the main characters in whose stories we were completely and utterly invested um mine this is not even going to be any surprise was ursula creed i went into that book like who gives a shit about creed's daughter i think i may have even made a joke about that in the episode before we read that one where i was like oh great creed's daughter (laughs) loved her absolutely loved her i loved what a very strong female character she was but also how flawed she was Mm -hmm. how human how human she was um she wasn't smarter than everyone in the room she wasn't tougher than everyone in the room she was just she was just who she was and she was a great leader i really liked her story and i'm really excited to see more of her and god i hope her i hope ossian doesn't become a servitor so that they can go on to have I don't even know what kind of relationship you would have in the guard. I mean, the ones that we've seen from Gaunt's ghosts, none of them really ended well. And I'm still pissed about the Anna Kurth, Ibram Gaunt thing. Um, I just want them to have some like little, like five minutes of happiness. Oh, just but, five minutes of happiness I mean, together. So in, um, oh my God, Nick Kime book, Knights of, uh, Knights of Knights McCrag. Knights of McCrag. Those two get the happiest Closest to a happiest Closest ending. Is like, he's kind of insane, but, you know, but they have each other now. <laughs> well, and they they said that, look, once the orcs come to a planet, they'll be back. So eventually the orcs are going to be back and it's not going to go well when that happens. But by God, 
they'll have at least two cycles where they're happy together. And I just want that for her. She deserves that. Both of them do. You know, he can wake up, not be a servitor. They can both get laid and then one of them can go die in a terrible battle. Because that's pretty much how it goes. He definitely doesn't deserve to be in a penal legion. No. And she, she pardoned him. Like that was the ultimate, that was the ultimate romantic gesture she could have made. I'm just saying she's made a lot of strides for it. Put a lot of investment in this man. It's no giving someone a dagger, but you know, it'll do. That is still, that is like, he liked it and put a ring on it. Oh, Um, I can't believe I just brought that on myself. Anyway. You did. Anyways, who is your favorite protagonist? It would be a Sister Superior Augusta from The Rose in Darkness. So hard to argue with. Yeah. And of course, it probably doesn't help the fact that I just read like that whole collection of Danny Ware's um, short stories. Oh, aren't they good? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, like, I, you know, was all on board with everything Augusta before then. And then just to see her come in and just take charge and not be a whiny bitch. Like, that's my biggest problem with with the the Adeptus Sororitas is that they're just so whiny. She was not a whiny bitch. She took charge. She doesn't get along with the canoness at all. The canoness is kind of a bitch but she's not whiny she's just kind of a hard ass yes so and the fact that they were able to kind of reconcile with stuff as a canon is always like will you stop making mistakes okay mom and Augusta she makes mistakes but it's fine she's not slitting her wrists over it she's like you know I will learn and I will move on and we will do better mm-hmm. and she basically she does her best to save as much as she can of this planet it's just so great the whole book was just great. I enjoyed every moment of it. I so she's my honorable mention. She was it was so close between her and Ursula Creed. Um, the thing that I really liked about her that really made her stand out as a character for me was that she questions herself, but not in like a "woe is I" right. kind of way. She questions herself in very valid ways, and then but she also was like, "Oh man, like I'm not sure about this." You know what? I don't have time to think about that right now, though. Like. She doesn't let it get in the way. She doesn't let her self-doubt cloud her judgment. Um, And she's just a strong character. Like, she just... That woman is just there to fight in the name of the Emperor and will continue to do so. And when she gets the most doubt, as I said earlier, she gets told, Hey, look, no. You did the right thing there. Mm -hmm. Now go on and keep fighting. Like... I absolutely love her. And Danny Ware's short story collection about her is... Chef's kiss of just awesome. She's a great character. I'm sure everyone's going to be really shocked by your honorable mention. They might be. Because it's not. Who else would I have picked? Cypher? You know what? Good point. Good point. But it's not. It's Caiaphas Kane because he's the hero of the Imperium. Kai, Kai, Caiaphas Kane. I mean, yes, he is. He is the both, both the hero we need and deserve. I'll agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, and, I will absolutely agree with that. And I just really need a book in the future where he and Reboot meet. I just need that. I don't oh know how God. Sandy Mitchell would write Reboot, but it could be fun. That would actually be kind of amazing. I would love to have like a, uh, I would love to have like a two-part book there. You can have like Gee Haley writing the Reboot dialogue and then sandy mitchell right they just need to be it just needs to be like a like a like an audio drama is what we need in our lives oh my god i would be totally down for the audio drama because stephen pairing would have to voice caiaphas kane duh be even funnier if we got i don't know caiaphas kane versus yarrick <laughs> two opposite Those ends two of the talking spectrum. shop <laughs> yeah, opposite ends of the spectrum they could be talking bear with me Right. Be talking at a conference oh. hosted by Grayfax. Oh, there we go. And then the orcs crash it mm. because older Bailey <laughs> is there and Thraka is just so happy to see him. It would have to be after Thraka had tried to go and banish Angron from this plane of existence for like the 6,000th time because he's so pissed off that he may or may not have killed older Bailey. You know, I'm here for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Telling you. Just, I, I would be here for this one as well. It's like, it was just somebody, nice. I need some of Games Workshop to be actually listening to our podcast. Right. <laughs> like, taking um, down these notes. I was just happy to see Caiaphas Kane again. He, he really is like that old friend that you haven't seen in a while mm -hmm. who just shows up and no time has passed at all between the two of you. Pretty much. You're just like, aw, Caiaphas I named my cat Caiaphas Kane. So much I love this character. He's great. All right. Our final category. Well, not our final category, but our the one that you've been waiting for. <laughs> the best book of 2023. The moment we've all been waiting for. These are the books that years from now, I imagine, we'll still be referencing and talking about. Kind of like I do incessantly with the Night Lords trilogy. Um, actually, we haven't had the Night Lords trilogy drinking game for quite some time. That is true take two shots right there though um i'm really proud of myself on that one carrie what's your best book of 2023 long shot by a long shot <laughs> hey -o. so why i think i've and said like so much why no yeah Just, it was it yeah. was a very good it was book. A perfect little package Never overstayed its welcome. It had really good story and really good story elements. It had good villains. It had great characters. I mean, hell. And vengeance, or justice, I should say, was served at the end. And how fitting was it that that asshole's dying last words were, she's not even Cadian, because that matters. The fact that you're like, we're willing to, you know, kill a fellow member of the Imperial Guard because she's not Cadia and shouldn't be leading you. Okay. And to me, like, that was like the final thing with it. It's like, yes, let's put this to rest with the Cadians. Stop hating the transplants. I feel as though I decided that one of the reasons that Longshots stuck out so much. It captured the best and the worst of Cadians. Yeah, because and had because quite like her, a bit of meta commentary. Because like her buddy 
Iago was Cadian. Mm-hmm. And her uh, squad, the Cadians, stood with her by her side at that guy's execution. Like, we stand with her. This idea, again, it goes back to the thing from Creed Ashes Acadia, right? That Acadia isn't a place. It's a people. Mm-hmm. It's a mindset. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can absolutely, you can absolutely have it. Um, take note, Space Wolves. And I don't know. Have we seen any other famous regiments that are kind of like that? I don't know off the top of my head. The Volpone, but I understand that. They're all into the like aristocracy and breeding and stuff. Um, but I don't think you really have it with any other been. regiment because with the Cadians, because the only reason why you have it with the Cadians is because they lost their planet, right? So it's not like they can just replenish their troops. Their planet's gone. They had a chan a little bit. But they have more of like a, they have more of like a, I guess you're going to learn now. Right, like in that book, Catachan Devil. Mm-hmm. Like you're either going to learn or you're or, not. Or die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, then it's not our problem either way. So, you know, I kind of like it. Um, mine was, again, this is, if you've been listening to this episode, uh, the best book of 2023 for me was Ashes of Cadia Creed. I I went into that book like, and ended up loving it. Absolutely loving it. I love Jude Reed's uh, style. I love her dialogue. I loved all of the characters. I thought they were all great. I loved how she described Cadia. I liked that the Met for once, not for once, but... It was one of the rare books where the magical MacGuffin really is worth all of the hassle that they have to go through to get it. God, I was so happy it was not a weapon. So happy it was not a weapon. I think we said this at the time, but if it even, if it even, if it even even hinted, maybe it needs like a, a ring to use it. Like if it was somehow tied into the Dawn of Fire with Bucharest's ring, I was going to burn that book. Would have been ashes I of that even book. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. If it would have been something like that, mm-hmm. um, but I just I thought it was just well done in general. I loved all of the characters. I was so emotionally invested in this book. Um, really liked this one, and it was a big surprise and a shock for me. It was. Well, it excuse really, really me. You was. can tell that I've been drinking and it's late. Yeah, um, it it almost made in my top few. Well, my top three. What are your honorable mentions? Uh, the Rose in Darkness and Leviathan. So I would have to say that Creed Ashes Acadia probably be fourth on that list. So my honorable mention was Fall of Cadia, Shock, and Leviathan. I feel as though, going back to something you said earlier, where our first book was Dark Imperium, you know, when I think of like, what I like in a good Spesmarine book. Leviathan pretty much had all of it. Hmm. It reminded me very much of a, bear with me for a second, it reminded me very much of like a modern re, a modern version, not a retelling, but a modern version of that first Uriel Ventress book. I was actually it's, just it's straight thinking up, that. That was like basically like a modern Uriel Ventress. It's straight up bolter porn. It is unapologetically bolter porn, but the characters are good. You were invested in the squad. You were invested in all of the guys. Um, I mean, how much did we talk about Baraka's sacrifice? It was sad uh, and emotional. It it had everything. 
had everything I came for. In Fall of Cadia, as I said, it has percolated so mm-hmm. well in my brain since yeah. we read it. Fall of Cadia would probably be number five, my top five. My number four would definitely be The Rose in Darkness. That was another book that I was excited because it was Dainy Ware. But we didn't love The Triumph of St. Catherine. Mm. It was just it was just very good. It was it was exactly what I came for with Sister Augusta. Um absolutely loved that book. You cannot go wrong with that one. And we both really liked Leviathan. Mm-hmm. So now those are our books of 2023, the books that we read for 2023. And because of the way that the publishing schedule is working, we're having to dip into the Wayback Machine. Best book of 2023, as in it was actually originally published in 2023. Correct. Correct. It's a new book, as it were. Because of the publishing schedule, we have to occasionally dip into the Wayback Machine. So what was your favorite book that was published pre-2023 that we read this year? It's Caiaphas Cain, Traitor's Hand. Yeah, same. Um, was it not going to be a tra- Caiaphas Kane book? I loved his beef with that other, with the Talar and Commissar. That was great. It was absolutely amazing. It was. And his, uh, yeah. yeah um, uh, tri- tribunal that he had afterwards. It's like, I'll see you at the tribunal. I've just saved universe again. Oh, and by the way, did you see me take down two Spess Marines single-handedly? Yeah, that was me. Loved Trader's Hand. I thought that was a really good one. Um, anytime you read Caiaphas Kane, it's just, it's going to be fun. It's going to be enjoyable. Uh, we That was also, I think, the right book at the right time when we read it. Yeah. So it was um, it, just everything about it kind of hit. It had the right thing. Um, we read it on the heels of the kind of thick Armageddon and right before Pilgrims of the Fire. So it was a really good. It was a, a moose-bouche of books, if you will. It was um, hmm? It was our beach read. It was a beach read. And it was a good beach read for that one, too. Mm-hmm. What was your runner-up? The War of the Fang. That one surprised the shit out of me when I saw that on your list. I know, a Space Wolves book, am I right? No, there's actually parts of that book that stick out in my head that every now and then just pop in there, like uh, Bjorn fell handed, falling down a canyon. You know, there, uh, yeah, just as it reminded me that Chris Wright writes the Space Wolves in a way that I can digest the Space Wolves. He doesn't make doesn't make me hate them the way I think so many other writers write the Space Wolves. I like the way he writes them as well. Um, that was almost my favorite one, but I really liked Katie and Blood. Um, I had to put Katie and Blood on there mostly because as a big ADB fan that, you know, that's one of his earlier books. I think we, think it, we just, we, I wrote my notes as his first book. Yes. And it's kind of fun to see, you can definitely see the earmarks of the ADB that we know and love, mm-hmm. but he's also a little rawer and it's kind of fun to go back and reread some of those greener books, mm-hmm. right? Um, speaking of Chris Rate and the Space Wolves, when we read um, that first one that has completely slipped my mind right now, uh, it's the Blood one right before. Time. Yes, it's the one right before uh, Stormcaller. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can time. see that kind of that kind of raw side of them. I really like that. I find it really fun. So I thought that Katie and Blood that one hit the spot for me. Now, this is for on the heels. 
mm-hmm. of the announcements for next year. This one was pretty funny because we have the exact same things for our most anticipated for 2024 or beyond. And the first one is, of course, Morgan Vall, Spear of Faith. Uh, Dr. Jude Reed is writing it. That's all I needed to know. Jude Reed, Sister Sorority. Oh, limited edition, which mm. looks like it's going to be pretty bomb. Um, you had me at that. You Really, you had me at Jude Reed. As soon as she got on the screencast, I was like, yes, whatever you're writing. Yes. 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 Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the Big Daka. Sequel to Brutal Cunning? Yes. Confirmed sighting of Princess? Yes. Mike Brooks? In Kimura? Ooh. Orcs in Kimura. <laughs> what could go wrong? Everything. <laughs> it's gonna be great. I- I'm so excited for all of this. Like, you pretty much had me at Mike Brook, Orcs, and Kimura. Literally nothing can go wrong with this. You you just had me at Mike Brooks and Orcs. Pretty much. That's all I needed was those first two. Mm-hmm. Kimura is just like, mm-hmm. ooh, there's some icing on that cake. Right. Exactly. Not too much. Not too little. It's going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. It's going to be some nice definitely buttercream not- on there. Yeah, just perfect. I was going to say, definitely not cream cheese. No, no fondant. No, just some nice no. cream on top. Yeah, exactly. Something we all want. Now, let's do another one of my favorite categories, because we talk about this a lot, where we go through and we read all these great books, and we love them, and we rant and we rave about them, and they're just, they hold such special places in our heart, but then we come down to actually giving out our awards, and I feel like we just, there's like, ah, oh, I like this book, it just didn't quite make the cut. What was the first, what was the biggest book in here tonight that you just didn't discuss as much as you would have liked to? I didn't discuss it at all. And that'd be War Boss. And I love that book, man. There are so I'm many up. parts of that book I think about all the time, especially with that poor soldier <laughs> and the commissar that killed him without even asking questions, really. Commissarial. Right. For being honest. Yeah, that's. That's one that, because we, as we were just talking about the Big Daka, it was so fun. It just was, didn't quite. It was chaos. It was so much chaos. And the ending was chaos. And the fact that this weird boy just all manipulated all, all of them to basically uh, activate, you know, uh, a portal. And that one squig just ends up right with our our favorite Uthak Blackhawk. Yep. So, which I think is going to be a nice segue into the big, the big DACA, right? Because it was a portal. Yep. Exactly. That's and that was what. So when they re, when they revealed the big DACA, that was the first thing I thought. Is I was like, oh, oh, that brings it back to War Boss. Yep. We're gonna find that nice little webway portal right to Komara. And chaos will ensue. And it'll be delightful. D- Chokes on you, Drukari. They're into this. <laughs> Actually, not Drukari. Like, would even the Drukari at some point be like, this is boring. This bores me. I don't know. Maybe. For me, the biggest book is, and I have to put, because Carrie and I actually talked about this before the podcast, because she was like, you actually did talk about this one. But let me explain. It's the lion, son of the forest. And it's because, yes, I talked about that one scene, but I... I loved this book so much. 
I wish I could have talked about it more. Like I, I, I feel as though I, I mean, again, I loved it. I absolutely love this book. It lives rent free in my head. I just like you with War Boss. I think about it so much. And I think really the other thing about it is the fact that we've not seen any other books in the Black Library with the lion. It's like it came out in March and oh my God, he's back. And we're not going to talk about him for the next nine months. Yeah. So that's kind of why it's in here tonight. I think it's it's not just that I didn't get to talk about it more. I think that it I didn't get to talk about the lion in general more. Like I would have expected to have had more to talk about with him than what I did. So that's kind of what as you drink out of your dark angel's cup. Um yeah, that was the one that kind of it, it surprised me a little bit. I wanted to be able to talk about it a little bit more. Your runner-up me. That was one of those books that the more I thought about it, the more I did not like it. And I, I think it's just that I just, I don't like the way Mike Brooks writes The Lion or The Dark Angels. I liked so many other ways he writes things, but I just did not like how, how he wrote The Lion. I guess and maybe a part of me is like, I really wish Gav Thorpe wrote it because I think Gav Thorpe understands The Dark Angels better than anybody else. Probably with Phil Kelly as a close second. But That's fair. What about your your runner up? This one this one did surprise me. I actually forgot we read this one this year. Ah, uh, Witchbringer. There's a lot to that book in that just really delving into what it means to be a sanctioned psyker, because it really delved so much more deeply into that and she used to be a soldier talked about how you know wasted away she was she used to be a soldier full of muscle and ever since they tapped her as being a psyker made her use her actually use her powers it's destroyed her body mm -hmm. you know her uh her reunion with, with, with her old like teammates and how they all reacted to her and how she has this one assumption about all of them. That's not even correct. And uh, again, her assumptions like, well, I've been trained to this. I know what I'm doing. Her assumptions about what's really going on. None of that was correct. So it's all a lesson and a, a lot in, you know, just, you know, making these assumptions about psychers, about what people feel about psychers. Cause that was what the whole book was, was everyone making different assumptions about, the situation right very much so there was a lot about i think we, we we talked once before about how a lot of these imperial guard books are kind of like squigging some type of like pieces of lore bolstering and i think that was this whole idea of this is how fundamentally your life changes and how kind of like a uh, unpleasant it is to be a right. sanctioned psyker and um the idea that all of her friends were suddenly not really her friends anymore and um yeah, Witchbringer, that was a really good book, too. And I was I felt really awful that I forgot we read that this book well, this year. because it was our very first book that we read this year. So that's that's one problem with those books that we read at the beginning of the year. We They get lost in, in the shuffle. They really do. But I, I, will also, I also feel that they release a lot of their best books near the end, like Kazarkin. I would agree with last that. Last year, and then all these Cadian books at the end this year. Mm hmm. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, they do tend to do that. 
Uh, they do tend to pack a punch at the end. They're like Assassinorum Kingmaker came out like in October, November of last year. Mm-hmm. Infinite and the Divine came out like in December of the year previous. It was like the last book we read. Um, they do tend to kind of like um, movies gearing up for the Oscar season. Yes. <laughs> Where the Oscars of the Ford of the Black Library, I'm just saying. Or like, um, or like, you know, think about video games, right? When are all the best games coming out? It's always in October, November. Mm-hmm. Right before the holidays. Right before the VGAs. Yep, I feel it. My runner-up is also an Imperial Guard book. It's long shot. I I was looking through yours and I like your awards, and the whole time I was like, oh god, yeah, I did like that in long shot. Oh, I did like that in long shot. It was up there for me. It fell under the surprise and delight category. Mm-hmm. Um absolutely enjoyed it. Absolutely would recommend it it just didn't quite it just didn't quite make it up Mm -hmm. on my list i would have liked to have talked more about it it just didn't no there was a lot of good stuff this year we did have a lot of good stuff this year and this is our fifth one of these which is super exciting um and you know i go back and i look at like um (laughs) it's hard because uh 2019 might have been the hardest year that we had apocalypse and shroud of night um and a bunch of other stuff that we read i'm sure apocalypse Um, won that year though right oh yeah shroud of night was the second Mm. and that was a hard one um yeah this was a it was a um we've had some difficult years this one was this one was also hard so but uh yeah nothing surely should have been surprised if we talked about any books that you hadn't heard you should definitely listen to them and we're going to dive into 2024, Dawn of Fire, which was um, unsurprisingly missing from any of this list. Yeah, there was one other book that was really missing from this list. Hmm. Oh, you know, something about flesh terrors. Hmm? Sorry, yeah. what? Yeah. So, uh, actually, one book that... I almost mentioned was the Angron book yeah that one you know that was one I will say I really enjoyed I mean I enjoyed reading it at the time but as we were going through for awards nope didn't even come up on there it actually almost made one of my top quotes really Mm -hmm. go on well I don't have my notes up here with me but well you suck but basically it was something along the lines of that the Primarchs were made were made to be extraordinary. So when they broke, they broke in ways that mankind could never conceive. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, I forgot about that. And I actually thought about it for the the bromance between Lotara and her ship. Oh my god. <laughs> That's just a straight up that that falls in both categories if we're being honest. Did you read The Rose Watered with Blood? No. I read that one. There's a short story where um, it talks about her very strange relationship with the Conqueror. Not like in a creepy, weird way, like kind of a creepy, weird way, but in like a way where you're just like, mm, okay, that's that's chaos, Carl. Like Neon Genesis and Vangelion, creepy, weird way. No, 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 nothing's that creepy. Literally, nothing's that creepy. Why? Why? 
Why would you do that? Because they have a really weird relationship with their mechs. Oh. Yeah, no, not quite that weird. Um, I thought you were... You said that, and of course, then I was thinking about... It, it's the movie. Okay, well, well, which movie? There's two, and they're both terrible. The one with the masturbation scene. Oh, that's um, like the best movie ever. No, why would you do... Like, why? why? Anyways, anybody who's knows NGE is like, oh, yes. Uh, anybody who doesn't is like, huh? You don't want to know. Just well, take... Just... This, the... Urban legend is, is that everyone hated the ending to the TV show because, seriously. And so the director was like, oh, yeah, you didn't like that? So he made this movie as a different, as an alternate ending. It's like, okay, so you can get the congratulations, congratulations, or masturbation over a comatose girl. Take your pick. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's um that happened. That was the thing that happened. I was just talking about the weird relationships with the mechs. Oh yes, of course. Um, you said weird and creepy, and that was where my first my my mind first went because the relationship with the mechs kind of that never really. I mean, anyways, yes, it's weird. Uh, you should definitely read it though. It's an excellent short story. Highly recommend it. Um, but you know, you also do you do whatever you want to do. I'm just saying. Um. But yeah, I think going into 2024, even though we're starting with Donna Fire, the preview gave me hope. Uh, as again, though, we may have to slip into the Wayback Machine. So, well, give us suggestions. Like maybe. We never know. Because the preview is only like, I think, like their hottest titles, right? Yes, that's true, too. We don't know what other Imperial uh, Astra Militarum uh, books they're going to throw in. That's true. Plus, it's, it's probably going to have some more reprints because that's apparently what they do now is with the reprints. I have a lot of mixed feelings on those reprints. I'm going to be really honest. Mostly it's like, oh, I want that. Um, there's a lot of mixed feelings. Like a lot of mixed feelings yeah. on the reprints. I don't want to buy all of them, but I also do want to buy all of them. You know how it goes. Everybody, Everybody feels me here. It is true. You want to take us out, Carrie? Yeah, well, I'm just going to make this nice and short and sweet. So thanks for sticking with us for a whole nother year. We're eager to start next year. I think our next podcast is going to be not the first week of January, but the second week of January. Is that correct? Yes, that yes. sounds right. Yeah. So we got to, you know, enjoy your winter break. Enjoy however you're, you're celebrating. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy Sanguinala, everybody. Happy Sanguinala. Don't forget what Sanguinius did for all of you. He took on Horus? He died for all of our sins. Oh, yes, yes. Sorry. Yes. But he did not. <laughs> but he did not resurrect on the third day. So different deity there. So anyway. Well, I mean, maybe with the Sanguinor. I mean, who knows what the Sanguinor is, right? Exactly. Just saying. You never know. I could go on a whole dissertation about that, actually. But anyway, I'm not going to tonight. So good night. See you guys in 2024. Good night, everyone. Have a great new year. 
episode of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.